Well, in defense of the church, Pastor Hovey, the bluebell was melting. That was why everybody was panicking and about to riot. There was... Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It is good to be in church. It's been a great spirit today. So the singing was wonderful, and so it must have been that traffic jam on the way in. Gave everybody time to meditate and prepare themselves for church. So we're so excited to have you with us today. And you've probably noticed, if you've gotten the notes, uh, that uh, we are not in the book of Acts today. We're going to take a break from Acts today. We'll be back in the book of Acts. But every now and then, uh, the Lord puts something else in my mind, and I uh, run with it. And so we will be in the book of Judges today. It's hard. I am actually going to look at the almost the entire account of Gideon, uh, but we won't have time to focus specifically on all the verses, obviously. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 1 through 16 of Judges chapter 6 together. And then you can read the rest of it at home. (laughs) So Judges 6 verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, And the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase or the produce of the earth till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. So for seven years, just to help you realize what Israel's going through, for seven years, they'd plant, they'd cultivate, and then at harvest time, the enemy would come in and wipe out all the crops. Okay? And Israel, verse 6, was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which was at Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Israel was in trouble. 
If you have studied the book of Judges or just read it, you'll remember that it begins by saying that this is a time in which every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And the book of Judges is not a book of the cycle from good to bad to bad to good, but rather if you really look at what happens in the book of Judges, it is a downward spiral of sin and its consequences. The result of every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And here in Judges 6, we find that the children of Israel have been delivered to their enemies. They're defeated and in hiding. They're destitute of their most basic necessities and they're dismayed, crying out unto the, unto the Lord their God. But then God reminds them that all of this because of their disobedience. It says in verse 10, I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. It was because of Israel's disobedience that they were delivered over and defeated and destitute and dismayed under the cruel hand of the Midianites. And God reminds them of that. But God had mercy on his people. And in answer to their prayers, he called out a man by the name of Gideon. And so this morning, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to from me. But this morning, we're going to look at the account of Gideon's calling and his victory over the Midianites, kind of from a bird's eye view, and then we'll make some observations about it. First of all, notice the calling of Gideon. The calling of Gideon. The calling of Gideon. Gideon was a farmer. He was a farmer. He had no prestige. He had no position. He had no leadership experience to speak of. He was just a farmer. As a matter of fact, in his uh, objection to being chosen of the Lord, he says, listen, I, I don't have any standing. My family has no standing. And in my family, I'm not really the favored son. Uh, you should probably pick somebody else. I am not qualified for this. I'm a farmer. Gideon was also fearful. I love that the angel says, thou mighty man of valor, while he's hiding next to the wine press. If I were Gideon, I would have looked behind me, right? Me? Not, not me. He was fearful. He was already fearing for his life. He was just trying to eke out the meager living. Somehow he had gotten some, some grain and he was trying to uh, just carefully, without being caught, sift out this grain. He was also fearful of the concept of being the one to lead Israel. Gideon is not somebody we would qualify as the uh, natural leader type. He was a fearful man. Gideon's theology was flawed. God, if you're with me, where have you been lately? Right? His theology was flawed. He blamed God for Israel's troubles. He equated God's presence with material blessings. Never mind the obedience part. If God was really on our side, why in the world have all these terrible things happened to us? He also assumed, once he realized, if you read the account, once Gideon realizes that he met with a bona fide angel of the Lord, all of a sudden he says, I'm going to die. Wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to die? Gideon thought God would kill him. All of that to say Gideon didn't have a very accurate understanding of who God is. He was not a theological man. He did not understand the Lord very well. But Gideon's peace was found in the Lord. 
the word of the Lord, you're not going to die, don't fear, brought peace to Gideon. And so he now knows God as Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is my peace. By the way, you always discover God through his word. It was the word of God that brought peace into Gideon's heart and mind. You always discover God through his word. The more you are in his word, the more you understand the God of the Bible. And just like Gideon, your theology is going to be flawed if you don't let God speak into your heart and mind daily by being in the word of God. You're not going to have a good understanding of who God is. That's the calling of Gideon. Notice the consecrating of Gideon. Before Gideon could have victory against the enemies of God on the battlefield, he had to have victory at home first. There was a problem in Gideon's household. His father had his own altar to Baal, a whole grove and everything to Baal, the false god. And so notice Gideon's familiar sin. Doesn't it strike you kind of funny that there was an altar to Baal in Gideon's father's house? And God just uh, revealed himself to Gideon, just called Gideon, and Gideon's first response is, but you've forsaken us. And here's a man, when he goes home, there's an idol and a shrine to that idol in his father's house. God, you're the one that has let us down. While at home, there was literally Baal worship. Doesn't that strike you kind of interesting? Perhaps Gideon had become comfortable with Baal worship. It was the familiar sin in his life. It was also his family's sin. This sin was close to home. Gideon, unlike some others that we find in Scripture, was not innocent of the sin of the nation. Others God calls out in in Scripture are innocent of what everyone else is doing, but Gideon was not. There was sin at home. He was not a blameless man. And before God can use a man, that man must first clean his own house. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And before God could use Gideon to rescue Israel from the Midianites, he sent him home to clean up his own family. I wonder if God would shine the light on a familiar family sin in our own lives if he called us to do something for him. And then notice Gideon's fearful spirit, still not the natural leader type. Gideon obeyed God, but he did it when there be as few witnesses as possible. (laughs) He did it at night. He was afraid of his father's house. He was afraid of of the townspeople. He wasn't exactly taking a public stand for the exclusive worship of the one true God. More like arson, the way Gideon went about obeying God. Nevertheless, he did obey. And I I bet we as Christians in America would never be able to be accused of not taking a public stand in our obedience. That's not my point this morning, so I'll move on. He still had that fearful spirit. He would not 
do it in the midst of the day. But then he has his father's statement to defend him in a way. Gideon's father didn't exactly defend his son. When the townspeople wake up the next morning and the, uh, the grove, the altar, the shrine to Baal is cut down and burned. Gideon's father didn't defend his son, but he didn't condemn him either. He took a very diplomatic approach. He said, if Baal is really a god, Baal can take care of himself. And Baal can take care of Gideon. We don't have to uh, fight Baal's battles for him. And so Gideon was given the nickname Jerob Baal, or let Baal plead against him. That's where that comes from. The consecrating of Gideon, he destroys the altar in his father's house to Baal. The calling of Gideon by the angel of the Lord. Then notice the command of Gideon. The Spirit empowers him. Judges 6.34 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abiezer was gathered after him. Gideon's might was found in the Holy Spirit of God who empowered Gideon for this specific act of service to God. Regardless of who it is in the scriptures, the men who accomplished great things for God were men only like us. Like James says that Elijah was a man of like passions, had the very same temptations, the very same struggles and weaknesses that we do, yet he was effectual in his prayer life. Gideon was a man just like us. The Spirit empowered Gideon for this act of service. Can the Spirit use you? And then notice he gives his summons to the enlisted. He sounds the trumpet call, literally, and 32,000 men show up. That's not a bad fighting force, especially for a nation that's in hiding and destitute. He sounds the trumpet and 32,000 men show up. That's his summons to the enlisted. And then the source of his encouragement. After Gideon was filled with the Spirit, and after he has an army of 32,000 men camping behind him, this is where Gideon asked for the reassurance of God. And I don't know why, but in my own mind, I had this all messed up. I don't know if it was children's Sunday school that did this to me or what. But it... It just, I marveled at the fact that after Gideon was filled with the Spirit and after he had gathered his fighting force, that is when he put out the fleece. And you've probably heard this story, but I'll give you a quick refresher. Gideon goes to the Lord and he wants a sign, a miracle, to confirm that God really would do what he said he would do. And so he puts out a fleece. And in the morning, the fleece was wet but the ground all around it was dry. So he says, God, that that was incredible. Uh, Don't get angry with me. Let's do it again. He put the fleece out the next night, that night, and the next morning, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. As Gideon asked God to confirm his promise that he would indeed be with him. Not a good way to seek the will of the Lord, by the way. Don't put out fleeces, just search God's word. Okay? I've, I've met people, I'm sure Pastor Hovey has too, that rested the will of God on coincidences. You know, I was just praying that such and such would happen, and it did, and that's how I know God called me to do this thing. Well, uh, it's far more, it's far better to search the Word of God for the will of God than to rest the will of God on coincidences. 
So don't use Gideon's example of putting out a fleece. Again, not exactly a theologian. Don't use his example as this is how you should go about seeking God's will for your life. I, I believe that what God does here is in patience and in mercy, he answered Gideon's test because he knew Gideon. The command of Gideon, he calls up an army, but then the calling of Gideon's army. Gideon goes through the fleece. After God answers the test of the fleece, God had another thing to say to Gideon. He comes to Gideon and says, the army's too big. There's a motive for this reduction. There's a motive for this reduction. It's, you find it in chapter 7, verse 2. It says, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt him, themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. God's glory was at stake. God said, If I keep my promise and I give the Midianites into your hand, what's going to happen is the Israelites are going to claim that they were just really good soldiers. And God does everything for his own glory. A.W. Tozer said, All of God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number of people for the longest amount of time. You and I are trophies, if you read the book of Ephesians, of God's grace and his glory. And God would not allow idolatrous, cowardly Israel to claim that in an incredible upset and rally, they drove out the Midianites. And so he says, no, the people are far too many. We're going to reduce your fighting force. And then we have the method of reduction. First, God says, tell all the fearful men to go home. This was already given in the law, by the way. And so this was uh, just biblical for Gideon to do this. He says, Give the, give the call and say, anyone that's afraid, go home. 22,000 men went home. Talk about discouraging. Courageous men are, are rare. God needs courageous men. G. Campbell Morgan said, the fearful and trembling man God cannot use. The trouble today is that the fearful and trembling man insists upon remaining in the army. And any decrease that sifts the ranks of the church of men who fear and tremble is a gracious and glorious gain. They were fewer, fewer, but they were no longer fearful, at least. But God still says there are too many. So God instructs Gideon as to the second method for selecting the remainder. Now, I'm sure you've heard a lot uh, made of this, but I don't think there's much here to be found to say that uh, there was some character trait or battle strength in the way they drank water. I, I, I don't find that really at all. I think what God did is gave Gideon a very simple way to see who to choose and who to send home. They would come down to drink, not all at once. If they would have all come down at once, they would have covered miles of that stream. But they would come down in groups, and as they came down to drink, Gideon and his uh, leadership were watching, noting who stayed and who went. And thus, 300 remained. 300 dog drinkers remained. It's the way God says. If they lap like a dog, they can stay. The motive, the method, the meager remainder, this force, this fighting force was less 
than one hundred. Excuse me, less than one percent of what Gideon started with. Less than one percent. This was four hundred Midianites to every Israelite. This was impossible, which is exactly what God was going for. Imagine the faith and the courage of the 300 who stayed, watching 31,700 men leave. Imagine the faith of those 300 men as they watched 31,700 other men go home. The command of Gideon and then the campaign of Gideon. The word is given. The campaign of Gideon, the word is given. God says, it's time to go. Gideon is ordered to go. God says, get up and go and conquer the Midianites. And with that order, God gives the reminder, I have delivered them, by the way. That's past tense. I have delivered them into your hands. It's done. You have the victory. Go get it. But also, God offers some encouragement. He was ordered to go, but he was offered encouragement. God knows our frame. He knew Gideon's frame. And he gave Gideon exactly what he needed. It's a great uh, story here, this biblical account, that Gideon goes into the army with one of his men and overhears a dream. And in the dream, a roll of barley, not a very prestigious grain, but a roll of barley bread falls into the camp and destroys it. And the man who is hearing the dream says to his fellow soldier, this is none other than Gideon. So Gideon hears that not only are the Midianites having nightmares about him, but they were in fear because they believed God had delivered them into his hands. And we find Gideon right there worshiping the worship of Gideon. When he heard the dream of the Midianite and the obvious fear that he had, the Bible says he worshiped God. Before you become a successful warrior of God, you first must be a sincere worshiper of God. And Gideon fell down and worshiped the Lord. And finally, we have the war fought. The war is fought by a new man. Now it's fought by a man of conviction. You start reading Gideon's preparations and the way he talks to his men. This is not the same guy that God called out by the, by the wine press there. All of a sudden, Farmer Gideon is a confident general. You can sense his conviction. God really was with him. He believed it. God would give them the victory. And we need men like that today that believe what God has promised and will take him at his word. And also... The war was fought by the methods conveyed. Gideon was a very creative general. We don't know how much of the battle plan was God's idea or Gideon's idea, but God did, or Gideon did what God told him to do. He went down with those 300 men against the Midianites. He stuck to God's plan. There's plenty of other biblical examples that were given the plan of the Lord, but then they sought help somewhere else. And Gideon did not do that. He stuck to the plan. And when you do God's will, God's way, you'll see God work every time. The methods were conveyed, the man of conviction, and then they fought this battle and won this battle with the might of the creator. 
God set the army at odds with itself. They heard the shout, they heard, they saw the torches, and the men who, by the way, 400 to 1, turned on each other and fought themselves. 300 men chased 135,000. A farmer sent an enemy fleeing, an army. Only God can do that. It was done with the might of the Creator. And here's where I'd like to make some observations and applications. First of all, like Gideon and like the people of Israel, God's people often see themselves as victims of God's plan rather than the cause of their own problems. God's people often see themselves as victims of God's plan rather than the cause of their own problems. God, these Midianites, they are, we, we are just utterly destitute. Why is this happening? Because you disobeyed. God, if you're really with us and for us, why in the world are you allowing these things to happen while the altar is erected at home? God's people often see themselves as victims of God's plan rather than the cause of their problems. How many times do we as human beings think, I don't know what God is trying to accomplish, but he must be trying to accomplish something because it's rough right now. And we just see ourselves as victims of God's plan instead of maybe the cause of our own problems. We do it too. We do it in churches. We do it in our work. I, you know, if it, weren't for, if it weren't for the pastor, if it weren't for the elders, if it weren't for the deacons, if it weren't, we're victims. We don't have any role in this thing. We're victims rather than maybe a cause. Number two, we find in Gideon, in order to be used by God, you must be called by God, consecrated to God, and confident in your God. All of us are called in certain areas. All of us are called to be a witness. All of us, or many of us, are called to be parents called to be a spouse, called to walk worthy of our vocation applies to every single one of us. Called to live conformed to his purpose and his plan applies to every single one of us. All of us are called in certain areas. Some are called in other areas. But in order to be used by God, you must not only be called, but consecrated to God and confident in God. All of us are usable if we be consecrated to him. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, you know, Gideon had a familiar sin in his life. So familiar that he could literally accuse the angel of the Lord to his face. You have let us down. And worship Baal at home. He had a familiar sin in his life. And before God could use him, God first had to consecrate him. He had to sanctify him. He had to purify him of that thing. 
And then before he could use them, God had to, to build his confidence in himself. The man who fought the battle against the Midianites was not the same man that was found there threshing the wheat in hiding. He was confident in the promises of God. Men of faith are men of faith. They are confident that God will do what he said he would do. And then the final observation is this. God is not concerned by the odds. God is not concerned by the odds. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan had a great grasp of this. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, the young man that bears his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And the two of them did have a great victory over the Philistines. Jonathan understood this. It doesn't matter to God how many there are. He's not concerned by the odds. Deuteronomy gave a promise to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 32 verse 30. says, How shall one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? So, According to that principle, that two men would put 10,000 men to flight, Gideon only needed 27 men. And God gave him 300. God gave Gideon over 10 times what he needed, according to Scripture, to fight this battle. God is not concerned with North Belt's odds. God is not concerned by the odds. And don't confuse concern with empathy. I, I mean, God is not surprised. He is not taken off guard. He is not at a loss. God is not afraid or unable because of how bad your situation at home is. Pastor, you just don't know what I go through every week. I, I'm, I genuinely am sorry about that. But no matter how bad your situation at home is, God can still work it together for good. The odds do not bother him. It doesn't bother him how impossible your circumstances are right now. I don't know what I'm going through at work. There is, I do not see a way out of this. God is not surprised by that. He's not. I just can't find a good word in the English language to communicate this right. He cares about it. We know he does. The Bible promises that he feels it. But he's not up in heaven going, okay, now what? Because no matter how impossible your circumstances may seem with God, all things are possible. The seemingly impossible health situation that you might have. The longer I'm a pastor, and 
I don't know about if Pastor Hovey would testify to this also, but the longer I've been a pastor, the more I realize they really are just practicing medicine. I, I'm telling you, I've, I've been in hospital rooms with lots of people, and I, I love our healthcare system. I love the doctors and nurses. I think it's amazing what they can do, but they really are just practicing medicine. They don't know most of the time. They don't know. And no matter how hopeless your health situation might seem, God is not out of his limits. Because God is still God and he's not concerned by the odds. And if God can take a farmer and send 130,000 soldiers running, God can do something with you in your life, in your situation, with your family also, with this church also. And maybe what God is looking for from us is what he told to Gideon in the first place, go in this thy might. Have not I sent thee? What was Gideon's might? Gideon had no might of his own. Gideon's might was that God said, you mighty man of valor, you are going to set the Midianites to flight. You are going to have victory. You go in this thy might. I have sent you. Each and every single one of us as Christians, go in this thy might. Have not I sent thee? And God is not surprised or at a loss because of the situation that you are in, that your family is in, that your parents are in, that your siblings are in, that this church is in. Because he's not concerned by the odds. And if we will step back and think, you know, Lord, is there something in my life that is causing my problems? That you're trying to get my attention so that I'll throw down a few altars? Is there something in this church, among this group of people? What is going on? Why has God let us down? Why has God forsaken us? Why is this happening to Northbound? Is there something familiar here? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. And if we'd be willing to throw down some altars, then God would do some mighty things. God's people often see themselves as victims of his plan rather than the cause of their own problems. God is not concerned by the odds. And also, God can use someone who is called, consecrated, and confident in him. Let's bow our heads as the Mr. Bogner comes and leads us in a song of invitation. I don't know why The Lord led us to judge us today. But if you're here this morning and the God has spoken to your heart, I would challenge you to do some business with him and respond to him today and let the Holy Spirit do the work he intends to do. In a minute, we're going to stand to sing, and that's the perfect time for you to come and pray if you'd like to pray up here. If today you've realized that, man, I just don't, I'm not sure I know God, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't even know if I'm saved. 
even though we didn't spend any time in the message talking about that, we would be thrilled to take a Bible and answer any questions you might have so that you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life. We would be thrilled to do that with you. And when we stand together to sing, that's the perfect time for you to come so that we can talk to you about that. However God is working in your heart, you take this time and you come.